and that we would, um, Father, be good soil for the seed of your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, everybody. We're going to release all the young people to YPs this morning, the young people's group, please. You may head off. I was away last weekend and I was, uh, I was involved in a wedding. I was actually conducting the wedding for my nephew and his fiancée. And it was a great privilege to do that. So uh, if you're wondering where I was last week and that's where I was. And uh, glad to be home again. Uh, I want to turn your attention this morning to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, in chapter 50, verse 20. Uh, please grab your Bible, your, whatever you've got in your hands, if it's your iPad, your iPhone, or whatever. But we do have it on the screen, and it is a bit small. Believe me, it gets bigger than this later on in the... In the <laughs> I should have made that one a bit bigger. You might just notice the background of that particular slide up there, and it says, God's Big Picture. I want to, if, there's, if, there's a, if there's a title for my message this morning, it's that, God's Big Picture. Um, but let me read this verse. This is a, a verse that uh, is the combination of a whole, um, several decades of storyline that has happened to a particular family. It's Jacob's family. And Joseph, the son of Jacob, is now speaking this in the very last chapter of Genesis. And he's speaking to his brothers who have uh, betrayed him and uh, done many evil things to him. And in response to that, now we see this verse. It says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, but it says, Joseph says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Aren't you glad that the reality for life is that when things sometimes go bad, that, you know, in God, uh, we can even see things turned around for good. It's an incredible principle and thing that continually happens. I was, uh, I read an incredible article this week, and uh, it's about a doctor called Dr. Henry Hemelick. Um, I don't know if you recognize his surname, uh, but he's a retired doctor now. He's 96 years of age. He's quite healthy and, uh, and, um, and in that way, he gets around and, and, and kind of lives life pretty much as normal. Uh, he does live in a retirement kind of atmosphere where it's independent living, but uh, the meals they gather in a formal dining room and they um and they and the people in this retirement home um, actually can have their meals together An interesting story unfolded last week for dr henry hemelick that i found incredibly fascinating um as i said he's retired he lives he's in the uh, city of since uh, um cincinnati sorry america and uh Last Monday, he was evening. He was having a meal, and because there's so many people who live in this retirement village, uh, he didn't know all the people at the table next around the table. Um, he didn't even know the, the lady who was sitting beside him. And as they're sitting there eating their meal, Doctor Hemlick happened uh, to notice that the lady beside him started to choke on a piece of meat from her uh, meal that she'd been consuming. Well, Doctor Hemlick. Um, 
he realized that she was choking, that she'd actually stopped breathing. And so he sprung into action and he spun her around and he um, grabbed her around the waist and he put his fist into the pit of her stomach. And with several thrusts of his fist in an upward motion, the piece of meat popped out of her mouth and she started to breathe again, which is a good thing. He saved her life. Would you agree? 96, I think he's doing well. But the interesting thing about Dr. Hemlick and what he just done was that the whole story is Dr. Hemlick, um, what he gave to that precious lady, her name was Patty Riss, and Patty was quite old herself. But what he gave to her, that particular, um, that particular procedure of um, unblocking her airway, was called the Hemlick uh, procedure or maneuver. I don't know anybody's ever heard of the Hemlick maneuver. But um, the interesting thing is that Dr. Henry Hemelick is the very guy who invented it and patented it, and it was uh, well received, and it was actually accepted by the medical um, practitioners all across America as a procedure that you need to do if anybody's ever got their windpipe blocked. Now, maybe no one here has ever done that. I don't know. Has anybody ever done the Hemelick maneuver? No, I haven't. Um, uh, but the interesting, the story goes on. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Patty was very, um, very thankful that day. Dr. Hemelick, of course, is the very one who invented this procedure. The very one. And in 1974, as I said, it was adopted by the medical profession. The interesting thing is that while Dr. Hemelick uh, invented this procedure... And it's saved literally thousands and thousands and thousands of lives from choking to death. Dr. Hemlick himself had never used it once, except for last Monday. Last Monday. And this elderly lady, Patty Riss, uh, in this retirement home, he was able to put the very thing that he had put together and invented and, and patented and actually put it into practice. They tell me, uh, and the article goes on, the next night, Patty and Dr. Hemelick, Henry Hemelick, had dinner together to celebrate her survival. That was on Tuesday night of last week. On Wednesday, uh, here's the interesting thing. Patty wrote to Dr. Hemelick a note. She thought it'd be best to put it in a little letter. And in that letter, she wrote this. She contained in that letter, she says, God put me in the seat next to you that bit on Monday so that I could live a little while longer. And the whole story was published in the Cincinnati Inquirer in the newspaper. So just to give you a bit of a framework for this, to recap it, Petty Rice was choking. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it's not a nice experience. When you can't quite get, catch your breath, you can't ca quite breathe. She happened to be sitting at a table next to the man who invented the exact procedure for dealing with people who were choking. And though he invented the maneuver, he had never used the maneuver on anyone until last Monday at the age of 96. Patty Rice started to breathe and saved her from possibly choking to death. And it accumulated in this statement, she believes God put um, Dr. Hemelick at her table that she could live and not die. I want to just say this morning, Joseph said a very similar thing in Genesis 50, verse 20. He said, you know, you know, brothers, you've done all this against me for evil, but God has actually meant, brought it about for good. 
and actually not just for my good, but for the saving of many, 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 many lives. If you read um, Genesis, Genesis 37 to um, chapter 37 to 50, you'll get the full story. But let me give you a quick brief history. Joseph was born into a family of 11 brothers. He was the second youngest, um, hated and envied by 10 of those older brothers. He was his father's favorite. Um, he's sold by his brothers because they envied Joseph. They hated Joseph. They sold him into slavery. He was taken into Potiphar's house for about, uh, about uh, 11 years. He was then sold and then imprisoned for several years after that, 13 years all up. He, he was in, you know, in, in situations where that were, he couldn't make his own decisions. 13 years in slavery and imprisonment. Um, the land where he was um, in prison and that was about to face seven years of plenty, that is, all the produce and everything would grow really well, and then seven years of famine. Joseph, um, um, Pharaoh had a dream about that. Joseph was able to interpret that dream. And out of that, um, Joseph is elevated from the prisons of Egypt into the second in command of all of Egypt. And no one was greater than Pharaoh himself than Joseph in the land of Egypt. And we see now, uh, and of course, that was for the saving of hundreds of thousands of people because there was an incredible famine. And Joseph was instrumental in seeing the lives of many people saved, including his brothers, including his father and his family. And the story of Joseph would have to be one of the greatest stories of how when a life that surrendered to God and, and when we, fa we face some of the most incredible challenges, and yet it's a true story of victory that overcomes cruelty, victory that overcomes um, the, the, the issues and the struggles of life. And it's a great story for that. And so the question that I have to ask this morning, can, God, can that really happen? Can God help us see bad things turn around so they work out for good? Can, can, and, if, and if God can do that, would he do it for you? And would he do it for me? Can, can we have the testimonies like Patty Rice or RIS, R-I-S, that, that declared that, you know, it was, it, I think God put the right man in the right place just for me so that I could live. Can we maybe have the testimonies of Joseph, you know, and, and one day look back at our situation and say that situation meant evil, but I tell you what, it's God has turned it around for good. And maybe today you've got stories that you can already share that say, I could see God turning and already has turned situations in the past around for good. I could see God is what he's done, even though at the time it didn't seem good, but it'd been turned around for good. Can God do that? Joseph's story is a story of God turning the bad into good for the sake of many, and it's the story of redemption that is and, and this is the simple story and the theme of God's heart, and it's the theme of the Bible. If you were to look throughout from, from Genesis through to Revelation throughout all the Bible, you'll see this theme is completely, continually repeated, and it's this, that God created people because He loved them. That's us. People rejected God. That's the world. God said, I'll set a plan in place so they can come back to me. That's redemption and salvation. And that's the very story of Joseph. God made people. He loved people. There was a severe, it's a damaging famine that wanted to come upon them. God set into place a plan through the man Joseph to make sure that they were saved 
and lived. God's redemptive story is throughout the Bible. This is another one of those stories. That's what Jesus is about, isn't it? Men, God made man. He loved man. Man rejected God. God set a plan in place. He saved man through Jesus Christ. That's the redemptive story. And this is very similar in a sense. So our discovery and our answer to the question God, can you do it for me? You know, it's easy today because we see other people's stories sometimes. We see other people's situations and we see wonderful testimonies come out of the most difficult circumstance. But I want to say that that's not just some coincidence. I want to say that people's decisions sometimes and the choices they make sometimes can determine the outcomes of what happens in life. I want to say that, you know, that God can do very much if we do the possible, God certainly can do the impossible. And you've heard us say that many times, but it's a reality and a truth. And I think Joseph was a man who set his heart on to do the very possible things in the midst of a bad circumstance, in the midst of his family rejecting him, he, he, he sought to do the right thing. In the midst of being in slavery to Potiphar as a servant, he sought to do the right thing. In, in the midst of a prison that he was thrown into unjustly for something he didn't do, he sought to do the right thing. And in the midst of that, because of that, it accumulated in God's planning unfolding for him and for the saving of many people. I reckon that's an incredible thing. And I want to tell you, if you're in the midst of the situation right now, the best is yet to come. Why can I say that? Because I know I serve a God that says and believes that even though the circumstances may not be good, he can still turn circumstances around and situations so they can have good outcomes. Good outcomes. So our discovery of, of, of the answer to, will God do that for me? I think it just starts in this verse, Genesis 37, 11. It said this. It's a simple verse. It doesn't seem that significant. It's only 13 words, and yet it's got something powerful to say to us this morning. It says, and his brothers envied him. Who were, who were his brothers envying? Who were the brothers? Well, I think you know, Joseph was the person the brothers were envying because he was the father's favorite, because Joseph was the man who was given the coat of many colors. If you remember the story, no other brothers had that wonderful favor placed upon them. Um, Joseph was the one that they learned to hate and envy, and in the end, they wanted to kill. So we see in Genesis 37, 11, his brothers envied him. But, isn't that great? Praise God for the little three-letter words, but his father kept the matter in his mind or in his heart we can see that the writer of genesis makes the point of saying that while his brothers envied joseph his father had a different approach to it i want to say that we know that both were angry with joseph when joseph told his dreams way back in genesis 30 this chapter 37 joseph had these dreams and he said one dream was is that I had these um, sheaves of wheat and they all stood up and all you brothers had these sheaves of wheat and they all bowed down to mine and we might think that was a bad move Joseph your brothers don't like you and yet you go and tell them that but anyway he told them and then he had another dream and he told it to his parents he said the sun and the moon bowed down to me and his parents, his father, was angry and rebuked him and said, you expect us one day to bow down to you, Joseph? And his brothers got even more angry at him and more envious and more hatred towards him. 
and we see this unfolding situation getting worse and worse and worse. But Joseph's presence and uh, Joseph's parents, and particularly his father and brothers, were, I, I think, somewhat confused and angry with Joseph for his seemingly proud declaration that one day all his family was going to bow to him. But there is a contrast between the father and the brothers. Because while the father and the brother were both angry initially at Joseph, we see that the father, that is Jacob, let his anger reside. And it says in this verse that he allowed and considered things in his heart of what Joseph was saying. While the brothers, their anger led them to revenge and a a desire to destroy Joseph. And so here's a key for our survival in difficult times when bad things go worse and worse. Because after the initial shock of pain that's happened, after the pain of situations that unfolding, and maybe even today in circumstances just seem to want to crush us, and situations want to just uh, seem to go from bad to worse to worse. And when we get over the initial shock of that, would you allow yourself a place? Or would you allow yourself to start to see the possibility of what could be turned around for good? Would you, would you allow yourself to start to see that just maybe, just maybe, there's a bigger picture that God has? Would you allow yourself just to start to see that in the midst of what doesn't seem right, that there can be something that can come out of it that God can do, and only God can do, uh, that could bring incredible results and uh, purpose for not only your life, but even for the life of others? Could you possibly, after the initial pain of some of the things that happened, could you start to see, could you start to see and allow God to invade your space and show you a bigger picture of something, though you can't see it, you can't see it yet. You can't see it yet. Because we don't need to harbor the scorn and the bitterness of the brothers, but we need to be like the father of Joseph. That's Jacob. He kept the matter in his heart, allowed hope to rise, that there is a bigger picture, though he can't see it at the moment, didn't, didn't make it... Um, didn't make it that it's not true it was true there was something there that god was going to produce see the bible says in hebrews 6 19 that hope we can have as an anchor of our soul and you know church this morning our soul is that place another word for soul is emotions another word is all our thought life and every you know and that's where the turmoil happens isn't it? in our thoughts in our emotions all the turmoil of what's unfolding around us if there's a struggle or there's a bad thing unfolding it's that's the place where we can all the emotions of 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 grief and all the emotions that are real and honest and that we need to go through them but all the emotions of sometimes resentment and frustration and anger and and unforgiveness can, uh, can boil up. But I want to tell you also, it's also the place that we can have hope. And so we've got to replace that with hope. We need to replace in our heart and let hope be the anchor of our soul and not all the disappointments and frustrations and things that unfold. Let hope be the anchor of our soul. The writer of Hebrews says, if you, this morning, I, I uh, over the years, I've done a number of jigsaw puzzles, and some of them have been quite large. And, you know, if you've got a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, it comes in a box about this big. And you take the jigsaw puzzle, and you just dump it out on the table. You know, obviously, 
as you look at all the pieces, you can't see the picture, can you? I mean, usually the picture's on the front of the box. But the picture, as it so to speak, with all those pieces, isn't there. It's a jumble of pieces. It's confusion. But you know what? I always look for the reference points in the midst of the puzzle. And you know what the reference points for a puzzle are? For any puzzle heart, every puzzle has them. It's the corners. And if you can find the four corners, you can reference it to the picture and you can find out which corner they're in and you can start the picture to be built. You can start to build the picture. I want to tell you, God has reference points for every confusing mess that you face. He has reference points. Joseph, I think, discovered a couple of them because he said I, he hid some things, he put some things in his heart about what Joseph was saying. He had a couple dreams. Joseph told him about it. Even though he was angry in, at Joseph to start with, he still took the time to consider, maybe there's something in this, that there's a bigger picture that God's putting together. And I can't see it at the moment because the puzzle is a mess and it's jumbled. But I want to grab some reference points. Unlike the brothers, they never had any reference points. Their reference point was anger, envy, and resentment. Joseph had some good reference points, I believe. You see... Every puzzle has four corners. If you haven't got the corners, what do you do? You take the puzzle back to the shop and you say, this puzzle is incomplete. I can't do it. We, we need the corners. And I want to tell you, just like every puzzle usually has four corners, everything that you face in life, God wants to give you the four corners and the reference points to come through it and not go under. And, and the, you know, as I look at the reference points for, jo for Jacob, the father of Joseph, the beloved son that he loved, and you must remember that, that the brothers, you know, sold Joseph into slavery and told Jacob that he was dead. How would the father feel? His very beloved son. And so Joseph needed reference points in his heart. He needed something to hang on to. And I think he held on to those dreams that Joseph told him about. That one day he would see his son again, even if it was that he would bow to him. Somehow, somehow in all of that, God can work this through. Let me suggest to you the reference points that I think that Joseph had to find and we all had to find in those times of turmoil. And they're really simple and they're faith, hope, love. And I would add peace to that. There's four. Faith in God. Hope of the future a love that even though i find it difficult to love sometimes that god still loves me and in that i can find peace and i want to tell you that in every puzzle there's an opportunity for god to show you how to come through and build the big picture every puzzle there's a picture to be built every struggle there's a picture god wants to build it's a bigger picture than you you can't see it at the moment but it's there and it's just if you'd hang on and, hang, and draw near to him you'll find that he'd bring you through and pull you through and you'd be able to come to the point where you see the picture one day and you go wow that that thing meant it for evil but god has turned it around for good god is in the process and in the business of doing that you know th there was a there was a young lady called Mary, and one day an angel came and stood at her, 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 in her room with her and said, you're going to uh, give birth to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
And as much as she at first thought that was just crazy and wild for that to happen, she accepted it. And over the years that followed, there were some reference points for her to remember and to take, to give her direction and purpose. And it wasn't for the just that point in time, it was for the future. Because we see in Scripture that at the time of Jesus' birth, there was a bunch of shepherds turned up in that little town of Bethlehem, and they started to share with her all the things they knew the Scripture, all the things that had been said about the birth of this Savior, Jesus, the future Messiah or the Messiah. And this is what it says in Scripture. It says, And those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She was getting a reference point for the future. She couldn't see the big picture and what about to unfold for her son, but she had something to hang on to. And then when Jesus was 12, they had to, there was a census and they had to go to Jerusalem. And so they took all their family, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and a lot of the relatives. They all went to Jerusalem. They, they um, of course, um, placed their names down on the census to be counted. And, of course, as they're going home, you know what Joseph and Mary thought. Jesus was actually in the crowd with them, and he wasn't. They went back finally and found Jesus in the temple and this is what uh, transpired and he, Jesus said to them why did you why did you seek me do you not know do you not know uh, that I must be at my father's business I'll keep on reading you reading <laughs> but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them and then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them but his mother kept all these things in her so the first thing when Jesus was born, all these, these things were said about Jesus. What were those things? I don't particularly know, but there was something that Mary could hang on to. What about this? And then when, she, when Jesus was 12, you know, Jesus is about his father's business. I thought Joseph was the father. Well, not technically or not naturally, but, you know, he's fathered in him in a sense. Jesus was talking about his heavenly father. And so something else that Mary held in her heart. Folks, what do you think Mary held on to as she looked up at the cross of her son hanging there? You know, in, in excruciating pain, being rejected, being tormented, and finally breathing his last and dying on a cross. What do you think she held on to? I think she held on to the moments and the things that she put in her heart. The reference points that God is a good God, that God has a plan for my son, that God has a plan for me, and I can trust him in this. And even though, you know, things have turned incredibly bad, that somehow there's a bigger picture. I can't see it all, but I'm starting to, I've got the corners and I can start to put it together. And the bigger picture that God's got, I'm going to trust him with. I think she was grieving for her son. I think she had struggles. But I think in her heart, she knew that there's something special. And you know what? It's not the end of the story because three days later, her son rose from the dead. He revealed himself to over 500 people. If you look throughout the New Testament, surely Mary was one of them. I know there was a couple Marys went to the tomb, but we're not sure if it was Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. But surely she would have found out that he was resurrected. And what a day that would have been for her. What a joy it would have been to know that her son miraculously has come back to life but that wasn't the best part because as the story unfolds months and years later we find that Jesus actually is the savior of the world what an incredible 
And then the picture was revealed to Mary, I'm sure, before she died. She understood that's why he came. That's why he came. The picture was shown to Mary and she could see it. And she could have been the one that actually declared what Joseph declared. The world meant it for evil. But God, you've turned my son, his murder and his crucifixion was for evil. The devil meant it for evil. Evil men did it. But I tell you what, God has turned it around and for good, so that for salvation of many. And I want to tell you, as you walk, walk, walk through life, there's things that happen at times that just don't seem good. They're downright bad. But you know, as you live and breathe in Him, I tell you, He t- takes it and He gives you reference points to trust Him and He allows you to start to put the picture together and maybe sometime in the future, maybe you've already had some of your pictures put together. That's wonderful. Maybe you're still yet to see the picture put together and you're still walking through it. But I want to say that our God is faithful and He can bring us through. And our God says, I want to show you one day with the big picture. You just got to trust me until we get the big picture together. Joseph said to his brothers at the end of the whole story in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Let me give you the same verse I started with, but from, from the, uh, another translation. And it just is this. Don't you see? This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. Don't you see? You planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. As you see all around you right now, life for many people. A great thought. Don't you see, you planned evil against me, but God used those same plans for my good. As you see all around you right now, life for many people. I'd like to think that our lives are a a work in progress that God would not just bring good for us, but we'd look past that and see that God can bring good for many other people even through our story and our lives and our situation. What has happened that has made you wonder and even question God? And you know what? I don't think God's too hassled about us questioning Him and asking Him things like, why did this happen to me? I don't think He's too hassled. As long as we come to the conclusion and understand that you might not find the answer to that question, but you will find that God has not left you nor forsaken you. And he brings us through. Maybe today you, you've, you're right in the middle of it and you're yet to come through it. But I want to tell you our God is an incredible God. And the answer to the question, does God care for us? Yes. Can he help us? Yes. Does he want to see good come out of our circumstance? Yes. In the midst of it, he does incredible growth in our lives. Sometimes he grows our character. He grows our resolve. He grows our strength to live for Him. Um, God's planning to do what you cannot see yet. God is planning right now to do what you cannot see. In the last month and a half, even in my own family, I've asked God some questions. My eldest sister has undergone um, five weeks ago has undergone major surgery for the second time, the second time. She's not an old lady, she's still fairly young, but she's older than me. <laughs> and for the second time, to remove a cancerous tumor, tumor from her body, 
Her first one was many years ago, and they removed one of her kidneys because the kidney had an incredibly large tumour, about the size of a football bladder. Now, the second, this second one has formed, and it formed in part of her pancreas and her spleen, and they removed her spleen, which is part of your immunity system. And, and in these last several weeks, they removed a little bit of her pancreas as well. And the doctors, uh, the doctors are trying to be really positive, but they're giving her a 50-50 chance that it'll come back. But you know what? I'm believing for that we have a God who doesn't say 50-50. He says 100%. We just trust Him for 100%. It's okay. She's pretty positive. But she's having to live now, of course, without a spleen and part of a pancreas and things like that. And, and you know, I, as a brother, I asked the question, why? I mean, I just saw her this weekend. It was a great time to talk with her and encourage her. And just to love her. Now, my other sister, who's older than me as well, but younger than my eldest, so that makes her the second eldest. <laughs> About seven days ago, she had to have her knee replaced because it had crumbled. And the reason that she had her knee replaced is because she's been had MS for about 15 or 20 years. It's multiple cirrhosis, if you don't know. And, and it affects your system in many different ways. It can sometimes paralyze you. She, she's not paralyzed in any way so much, but what's happening is her bones are crumbling. And so her thumb got broken about a year and a half ago. It still hasn't mended. It still hasn't, the bone's not knitting together. So there's pain there. And, and now she's just had her whole knee replaced. And, and the doctor said when they went in and looked at her knee, it was just a mash of bone that had just crumbled and... So she, right now she's in hospital. I visited her, spent time with her. And you ask the question, God, why are those things happening? And you know, um, and I know the reality is maybe they're not so big because some of you face much more than that. Much more than that. Much more struggle, much more heartache, much more grief. I understand that, but... I want to tell you there's a God of hope today. I want to tell you there's a God that doesn't leave us hung out to dry and say, look after your life. But if you would draw near to Him and, and He can bring incredible good things out of the struggles and the pain. Can we just stand this morning and let's worship Him for a moment. Because, you know, I say, God, all things are supposed to work together for good to those who love God. It says for those who love God. I've I, I got to make sure I get that bit. And I say to God, but God, not all things are good. He says, I didn't say that. I just said all things work together for good. I say, okay, I got it. Uh, and so I, while not trying to focus on the negative this morning, but focus on the reality that we have an incredibly good God and that our God is able. And as we draw near to Him in church, if, if there's one thing that would thrill God's heart this morning, is that you would just come and surrender to Him afresh and say, God, here. I, just, I don't like what's happening, but I trust you. I don't agree with what's happening, and it's not good, but God, I just... I would just trust you that your picture is big and I can't see it yet. And just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. It is. But would you just give me some reference for what I'm facing?
Well, here's the reference this morning. That God wants to instill in you love, joy, peace, and hope in the midst of what you face. And I'd love just to pray with you this morning. I'd love the team to come and pray with people. If you know you're facing something, you just need to come and say, Father, here it is. Here it is again. I, you're not coming to this church. You're not coming to me or any of the team, prayer team, but you're coming and saying, God, here it is. I just give it over to you and I trust you. I draw near to you today. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to minister to hearts and lives. And you know, before we even do that, I just would love to ask the question, is there someone here this morning that just needs to get to first base? And first base is simply saying yes to Jesus. Just giving your life and saying, yes, Jesus. I accept what you've done for me, Jesus. I accept the fact that you died on a cross and rose again and that you can take my sin and, and you can help me to forgive and I can be forgiven. I forgive myself. I can be forgiven for what I've done wrong and I can even forgive others and I can live for you. And if you're here this morning and if we could just all bow our heads just for a moment, give each other a moment of privacy. If there's anybody here who would want to say yes to Jesus, I'd love to just pray with you this morning as we pray for other people, and I'd love you just to lift your hand. I can see that. You can put it back down again. Anybody just wants to say yes to Jesus. Maybe for the first time. Maybe it's again, because you know you need to do that this morning. Everybody's good? Okay. If this morning you desire prayer, I'd love to just pray with you. I believe the Holy Ghost wants to encourage and instill life and encouragement this morning. Come on, let's just worship for a moment. And you come this morning and you just say, God, here I am. It's coming to him. Saying, here I am, Father. Come on, let's uh, just worship just for a moment before we have morning tea.